All right, welcome to Ask Anything. That was Bethany Bell, uh, our Minister of uh, Urban Outreach, and Johnny from City Life, one of our partners, uh, agencies here in Cleveland, and they were asking questions right here in Cleveland this past week. And maybe one of those questions sort of reflects a question that you have. Uh, maybe you're wondering, is there an afterlife? Will I recognize people that I knew here? Or like the woman who said she was in her, her minivan and she goes, why did God take my husband when he was age 39? Um, a lot of questions that we ponder when we start to think about the afterlife. You know, we've talked about this rope right here and we've said this rope that this little red part right here uh, represents, we said, uh, our life here and all the rest of it is the afterlife. And if this is all that we experience uh, in this life and the rest of it, we wanna think about this, right, and go, where are we gonna be? What is heaven like? What is hell like? And how can we know for sure we're gonna be there? Some questions have already come in about that. So uh, you saw where you can uh, put some, send us some questions. Uh, we're answering different questions every service, and we'll, we get hundreds of them. We'll answer the ones that we can, but I wanna say I'm grateful to have two people here with me, Pastor Josiah Stumbo. Josiah is our pastor of young adults. He is at our Olmsted Falls campus, and we're really grateful to have him. He's happily married to Sarah. They have three children, little Silas and big Silas now. He's getting yeah, bigger. He and as well as Jovi Lynn and June. Uh, Josiah also has a podcast called How Was School? He does with uh, Pastor Michael Campbell here at Grace Kids Pastor, which is excellent. I listened to one of them this week. And he has a bachelor's degree in biblical and theological studies from Crown College up in Minnesota. So welcome to Josiah. Glad to have you here. And then this, my best friend and partner in... In crime uh, is Mary, and Mary also has a degree in biblical studies and a minor in Bible teaching from Columbia International University, where we went to school, and we are the happy parents of five kids, and we haven't told you yet, but we're going to be grandparents this summer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so our daughter Lauren and son-in-law Brad are expecting uh, this July, and so if you guys are watching, they're in Florida, we love you and your inheritance just grew bigger because the grandchild number one is on the way. Um, we're glad to have all of you here. Uh, let me just mention one verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Should which I try to introduce you? And introduce me? Yeah. Sure. So yeah, this I is Jonathan what you're gonna Schaefer. Say. He's one of the pastors here at Grace. And should I try to say, so he has a bachelor's degree in Bible and then a master of arts and then a master of divinity and then a doctorate. And I won't try to say what they're all in. But yeah, that's, yeah. that's who that is. But the most important thing is that I love Jesus and I'm his follower and grateful to be so. Um, yeah. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13 has a verse that I think just is sort of a good precursor to what we're gonna talk about today. And it says this, it says, now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. In other words, Right now, there are some things about heaven and about hell we just don't have a really clear indication in the Bible. We know enough that we have what we need to know and how to get to heaven, how to avoid hell, but there are some things that we look at with, that it says with uh, puzzling reflection, but one day it's going to be with crystal clear clarity. So we'll do our best to point to some scriptures uh, that are here and we'll always come back to the Bible. By the way, having a study Bible is so helpful and a lot of questions are answered there. But uh, I'm gonna start with Josiah. Josiah, this one about meat came in. I understand it says that Isaiah 25 mentions eating meat at the banquet of Christ. However, it's my understanding that there will be no more death 
and I have a hard time comprehending how meat could be available at this feast, especially since Genesis 3 reveals the first animal death as being a covering for sin. So if I could paraphrase, will we get to enjoy Chick-fil-A, Red Lobster, and Wendy's in heaven? <laughs> well, now you changed it, because no. <laughs> There's not going to be any additives, I don't yeah. think. <laughs> but... Um, it's an interesting question. In Isaiah 25, 6 is the verse that's mentioned um, that uh, some translations translate it as meat at this feast. And it is uh, a revelation of what heaven's going to look like there in Isaiah. I looked it up because this one came in advance, so I had the opportunity to do that. And the Hebrew word there, uh, I won't try to pronounce it, but the Hebrew word um, me for what's translated meat sometimes really um, is more often translated as oil or richness. So it's this idea of a really rich feast, this um, soaking in oil. That sounds good to me. <laughs> um, I, I, I kind of wonder if, any, if there's any, I'm not a Trekkie, but I've watched a few episodes of Star Trek, and they have the replicator device where they can put in whatever they want, and then it just comes out. And then, so I bet you can put a steak in, and then you don't have to kill an animal, but you still get a steak. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, who knows if that'll be the case, but um, I, I, I think I agree with the premise that there won't be any death or, or killing in heaven, and so um, that meat probably wouldn't come from an animal that has to die, but um, I think we'll get to enjoy things better than Chick-fil-A up in heaven. Do you like that um, Impossible Burger? I haven't had it. No? No. You like it. I've, I've had Impossible Burgers, yeah. <laughs> I like Possible and Impossible Burgers. <laughs> all the them. burgers. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Thank you, Josiah. That's good. Um, is, Mary, is a person's soul, a number of questions came in like this, is a person's soul immediately taken into heaven only later to be joined with their newly resurrected heavenly body on the day of the Lord. Um, in other words, is your soul immediately in heaven or is there like soul sleep that some denominations teach? So I wanna to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter five, um, verses six through eight. Here's what the Bible says. Um, so we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. That is why we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident and would rather be away from these bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. Um, some versions say uh, just a distinct little phrase there, absent with the body, absent from the body, present with the Lord. So it seems like when we leave this body, we are present with the Lord. Um, Paul in Philippians uh, talks about how sometimes I wanna live and sometimes I wanna go and be with Christ. Like it's either this or it's that. We're either here or we're there. Um, and then I think the last thing that comes to my mind is Jesus on the cross. And remember the two criminals were on either side and the one criminal um, says to him, uh, you know, ask for Jesus' mercy. And Jesus looks at him and what does he say? He says, today, you will be with me in paradise. So it seems like it's either, we're either here or we're there. I don't know, do you have any? Completely agree, uh, Pastor Joel. I think some have said, like Randy Elkhorn, who wrote a wonderful book called Heaven, that uh, maybe we're given a, sort of almost a temporary body until our bodies are in, in the ground are resurrected. Mm -hmm. So when we put a body in the ground or if someone's cremated, and it, it, whether, whatever the case, Pastor Joel, great message last week, in fact, three message links from the past week. First week was, and what does Jesus say about heaven and hell? 
Second week, uh, what do we do in heaven? And third one was, what about Jesus coming again? And Pastor Joel said, uh, when, if you're near a cemetery, when the second coming of Jesus happens, it's gonna be amazing. Because 1 Thessalonians 4 says, these bodies will be reconstituted, come up out of the ground, they'll rise first, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then it says, we who are left, we're here when Jesus comes again, we'll meet them in the air. So you're gonna see, if you're near like Woodvale Cemetery or over at Sunset, you're gonna see like maybe your grandmother's body or you know, someone else you love, a spouse who knows Jesus, you're gonna, be, you're gonna see their body come up out of the grave. Doesn't mean they're not in heaven, their soul's in heaven, but their body will, so yes, I agree. When we die, immediately in heaven, and, um, and, uh, and then our bodies resurrected one day. Can I just piggyback on that, because a question came in, a couple of them. Um, what about cremation, then, for a Christian? Yeah. Is that okay? Do you want to answer that one, Josiah, or do you want me to um, take a stab at that? I'll, I'll start. You can, okay. you can clean it up. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> I think the idea with cremation, it's, it's a miracle either way, right? <laughs> if the body's been decomposed or if it's been cremated or if it's been lost at sea, um, whatever. And Revelation actually talks about the ones lost at sea. Whatever, wherever that body ended up, God, the miracle of resurrection, it's... Nothing's too big for him to reconstitute a body. Uh, and um, it, yeah, I mean, there's no indication anywhere in scripture that if you're burned in a fire or if there's some tragedy like that and your body's not buried that it wouldn't be resurrected. So I think it's very safe to say that that miracle of resurrection applies to any type of death and then how the body's been prepared afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, no cleanup needed, huh? No, no, no cleanup needed. Yeah. <laughs> so we have a lot of people at Grace who are cremated, and we have no, no problem with that. Mm-hmm. Another person writes this. My family and I have attended the Middlebrook Heights campus for a few years, been completely online for over a year now. Welcome to all of you online. We watch every Sunday morning at 1030 from Shaker Heights. In relation to the Heaven series, what do you think about the age of accountability? Biblically, salvation is only through faith in Christ, but what about those who don't have the ability to believe? This is an important question for us as we have a child with cognitive special needs. Just wanna say thank you for the question. Thank you for all of you who have children with special needs who love and like Jesus loves. A Couple of things that we could say. Um, is there an age of accountability? Some would point to a verse in, um, in Isaiah chapter seven and uh, I'm gonna just read it here from, from, um, from my computer because I can see it better. Um, but it says this, that it talks about in Isaiah 7 that, that this child will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. So there's something to be said about that, that there is a time that comes. But the, the problem is that the Bible never makes it clear. Now, in Jewish tradition, you have the bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, which means really son or daughter of the commandment, is literally what that means. Mitzvah means commandment in Hebrew. And so they would say that you have all the rights and responsibilities of Jewish obligation, law, rights, or come to you at the age of 13 or in some cases 12, depending on the Jewish tradition. But the Bible doesn't really make it clear. So we could say, well, is it 12 or 13? There is maybe a time, but... um, you know, when should someone be baptized? There's not a clear indication in scripture. But I would just say for those who 
you have a child or maybe who, or you've lost a child in, in infancy and you think, well, what's gonna happen? The child wasn't old enough to make a decision for or against Jesus. Or what about um, uh, someone who's 37 but doesn't have the cognitive ability to really understand their own sin? That, that Jesus gives an indication where he says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these, those who are children or of the minds of children. And even King David, when he loses a child, he says, this child's not gonna come back to me, but one day, his child's just a young infant, I will go to see him. So there's indication in both the Old and New Testament, again, it's sort of seeing through a glass dimly, but that we would say that we believe that children, there's good reason to believe that children or those with the minds of a children will be in heaven one day. That's just the heart of a merciful father. Anything you wanna add? No, okay. Mary, um, this one, this is profoundly important because you know how much I love softball. It, the question came in from someone here. I should just call this person up because their number's here. Will there be referees and umpires with 2020 vision? So I'd like to turn here to the book of Hezekiah. And <laughs> the answer to that question is yes, definitely. <laughs> I think probably the more important thing is that the way that we respond when we don't like a call will be very different there than it is here. Are you talking to me when you I'm say not, that? I'm yeah. not, I didn't, I didn't say any names, I just said, yeah. <laughs> but thank you to those of you who are umpires and referees, I would not want your job. Josiah, here's one that came in numerous times. Will our pets which have passed on be in heaven? or will some be in hell? No, that part, I added that part right there. <laughs> I don't see that on the question there. <laughs> um, I'm gonna actually try to wrap in two questions into one here. Um, there's also a question that came in this morning that said, um, where will heaven be? Uh, and I think we can kind of um, use that first, that question and answering the pet question too. So where will heaven be? I see in Revelation 21, um, it's pretty clear that um, it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And, and, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. Uh, and so it's this image of really the restored Garden of Eden that now covers the whole earth, is the new earth that um, is created. And I think that that's where heaven uh, primarily will be. We don't know if there's more dimensions than that, um, but we know that there will at least be a new earth. And so I think we can really confidently use the Garden of Eden as a kind of a template for what at least that could look like. And there's animals all over it, right? All sorts of animals in the Garden of Eden. We see in Isaiah 61 um, that there's a, the lion and the lamb, and there's um, several references throughout Scripture of animals being part of this heavenly vision um, and this new earth. So will animals be there? Yes. I wish you would have just asked that. <laughs> but will your pets be there? That's a question that we kind of have to say we don't know. Um, we know that animals will be there. We know that we're going to have this new perspective in heaven where we're not going to be upset if they're not. Um, but also, I, I wouldn't be surprised, and I'm along with some other thinkers, that wouldn't be surprised if they are. It doesn't say that your pet won't be in heaven. And um, God's generous heart, who, I, I mean, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't complain if uh, my little dog Butterscotch from when I was 11, eight years old would be up there too. So, but the um, dogs will be sanctified, is what <laughs> totally. you're saying. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Billy Graham, I remember he said, if heaven will be happier with your pet there, like, because God's intent will be for our greatest joy that he said, your pet will be in heaven. But like you say, we might redefine what true joy really is. Mm-hmm. Um, Mary, there's one here that came in, which um, not really particularly maybe about the afterlife, but if God is against slavery, why was there so much slavery, especially in the Old Testament? I think that's a question that sometimes is an obstacle to people in, in the, to really accept the, the, the Bible. Uh, so how would, how would you respond to that? Yeah, so this question came in earlier, so I had some time to think about it. Um, I think because of our, our history here in the United States, when we think of slavery, our minds go straight to chattel slavery that we had here and the horrors of what that looked like. Um, from some of the reading that I've done, it seems that a good bit of the slavery um, during the time when especially the Old Testament was written is very different than the chattel slavery that we know here. I won't go into all the, but it wasn't race-based. It wasn't for lifetime. The slaves at that time were able to be educated and own property and various things like that. But I'll tell you, it's been really um, heartbreaking for me, disillusioning for me to see how many people in the history of the white evangelical church specifically um, were proponents of slavery, were people who enslaved other people made in the image of God. Um, That's just been really heartbreaking for me, and I think it's important for us to know our history as a church and to kind of wrap our arms around that and deal with that and look at how the tentacles of that have worked their way through the following centuries and decades. Um, So I I think a lot of what is written uh, in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, we have to determine, was that written descriptively or prescriptively? Is it a description of what was happening at that time or is it a prescription saying this is how it should be done? I think that's a very important distinction when we're looking at passages about slavery in the Bible. Um, New Testament, I'm just going to give a couple passages you can look up because I won't take time to read them all right now, but in Galatians chapter 3, it talks about how Paul says there is neither slave nor free. He comes right out and says there, there's no slave, there's no free, there's, this is not a thing. Um, that in First Timothy Chapter 1, verse 10, they talk about slave traders being immoral. In Revelation 18, 13, same. Job 31, 13 to 15. Even back as far as Exodus, when the law was being given, slave trading was seen as a potential capital offense. Um, Rebecca McLaughlin, whom I really highly recommend her book, Confronting Christianity, it's 12 questions, 12 hard questions um, for Christianity. She, she talks in here, she says that um, the biblical, the New Testament is one of the most emphatically anti-racist texts ever written. Evidence for that would be that in the early 1800s, a Bible was put together for uh, educating enslaved people. They couldn't just hand them the Bible as we know it today. Why? Because so much of this book is anti-racist, is anti-slavery. And so what they had to do was they had to take out portions of this Bible before they could use it for educating enslaved people. Do you know how much they took out? 90% of the Old Testament and 50% of the New Testament. They had to take out because if they gave this text to enslaved people, it would incite, wait a minute, this is not Christianity. This is not what the Bible teaches. So, so 
anyone who has used the Bible, and they have, very sadly, to promote uh, slavery has been sorely, I mean, they've just had to do all kinds of acrobatics to make, to make it work. Um, so Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 7, if you're a slave and you have a chance to, to get free, take it. But then he talks about uh, in Ephesians, if you're a slave, then you should sincerely serve God in your circumstances. Why did he say that? Well, I think because he knew that um, not everybody could escape from those circumstances. And maybe trying to do so would put them in grave danger. So that's just, I mean, we could talk about this for a very long time. I, I, I want to just read one short passage. Am I rambling too long? Quick, I'll read it fast. I'll read it really fast. Okay, one, not too fast over there, you interpreters. Um, here's what Rebecca McLaughlin says. The New Testament argues against slavery by cutting the legs out from under it. Jesus inhabited a slave role. You read where Jesus talks about, he says, I, I came as a slave. Paul calls himself a slave of Christ. He loves a runaway slave, Onesimus, as his very heart. He insists that slave and free are equal in Christ. There's no room for superiority, exploitation, or coercion, but rather brotherhood and shared identity. The New Testament created a tectonic tension that would ultimately erupt in the abolition of slavery. So... Sorry, I went on a long time no, about that. No, no, that's an important point, and uh, thank you. Yeah. I got a letter here this week from Sophia, and I thought, she's at the 1030 service, so I thought I wanted to, this is the, everyone thing else came in electronically, but it says, Dear Pastor Jonathan, now she's 10, I've been wondering if God created hell or if he didn't. Please respond whenever it is the most convenient for you. I also wanted you you to know that <laughs> this other part is very affirming. I shouldn't read that part uh, in that she says you're a great pastor. And so, uh, but, uh, and Philippians 4.13 is a great verse. You should read it. Uh, so thank you, <laughs> Sophia. I love that. So uh, Sophia, Sophia's here. Welcome. And so I want to just read, a, a, the, to go back to the question about hell. Uh, did, who, who created hell? And I think we have a little bit of an indication in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, where it says this. It says, uh, Jesus says, then is but the sheep and the goats, and he'll say to those on his left, the goats, he'll say, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So two things about that. Prepared for the devil and his angels. First of all, we said this a few weeks ago, that it appears that hell was created not first of all for people. Hell was created for fallen angels, for the devil, and for those who followed the devil. But if we refuse the good news that Jesus has offered, his, his perfect forgiveness and a relationship with him, we fail to acknowledge who he really is, that we're choosing the way of the enemy, and we're choosing to go the way of, of Satan and the angels. It, does, it says prepared for, probably prepared by God himself. So God prepared it, not for humans, Maybe, but for the devil and his angels, but if we choose their way, that's where we'll be as well. So see if, Sophia, thanks for the question. I'm gonna ask both of you to maybe just to pick a question. You might be wondering how these are populated. Someone, as you're sending them in, they're going into a Google Doc, and we're just sort of following them as they come uh, down. A few came in in advance, but uh, Josiah, how about you next? I got one I can personally relate to here. It says, well, I still have my fear of heights in, in, <laughs> in heaven. 
Yikes, it says. <laughs> and I agree. I, have a, I used to be a window cleaner with a fear of heights. Imagine that. <laughs> um, so I will, no, I don't think you will. I think these new resurrected bodies that we're going to get are, uh, it says in 1 Corinthians 15 that these new resurrected bodies will be um, changed in a flash and they'll become imperishable. They'll become powerful, glorious, spiritual. I don't think that includes being afraid of falling off of a ledge. Um, that kind of power. So no, I, I don't think we'll have those kind of irrational fears. And there's nothing to fear because there's no pain either. So even if we did fall off. <laughs> That's great. All right. Uh, while you're looking for one, Mary, I'm just going to respond to one. If you came in regarding COVID, and I think we could say it, it in a sense, it deals with life after death because this pandemic has meant hundreds of thousands in our country that have died and really around the world uh, even today. In India right now, uh, three to 4,000 people a day dying. Um, so here's a couple of questions. I'll just sort of combine. One writes, <clears throat> I have a friend who says that they don't feel a need to take precautions during COVID, like wearing a mask, because God knows when they're going to die, nothing can change that. And they're going to heaven anyhow, so it doesn't really matter. I feel really uncomfortable with that, but don't know how to answer them. Can you help me with an answer? Another person writes and says, at what point does the church stand up to this virus and government regulations? When do we trust in God and have faith that he will protect us? We are in God's ever-loving hands, for he rescues you from every trap. This is a quote from Psalm 91, from every trap and protects you from the fatal plague. So let me just go where angels fear to tread, right? Because uh, this is probably questions you've, you've not, if you've not asked, you've heard other people say. And I've heard a number of people like the first one who have said, I, I don't think there's any need to wear a mask because, uh, you know, God, when my time is up, my time is up and I can't change that. There's a problem with that. That's not in the Bible. That's determinism, which is a doctrine that's not Christian that says that that all events, including human action, are not dependent on our will, but on external forces. Uh, and and, and let, me, let me just, uh, let me say first, if your child, if you are the parent of a teenager and they came to you and said, mom and dad, uh, I know you're really ticked off that I text when I drive, but God knows my time and I, I, I can't go a day earlier, a day later, so I'm just gonna text whenever I want including driving down the highway. How would you respond to that? Or if someone said, I know that airline has a terrible reputation, but if it's my time, I'll just go. If a mask helps, but I don't wear it because if it's my time to go, we'd say that's not the case. Our choices matter. So there's a couple of places like in Deuteronomy 30 where, where Moses says, so I set before you Blessings and curses, life and death. Choose life, he says, remember? Or Joshua chapter 24, he says, uh, I want to encourage you, he says, that, uh, that you have to make a decision. He says, are you gonna, where, which way are you gonna choose? Are you gonna choose the way of the, these local idols? Are you gonna choose the Lord? But as for me and my house, we will, right. And some of you have that on a plaque, that choices matter. In fact, the apostle Paul says, like in Ephesians, or First Thessalonians, he says, I want you to avoid sexual immorality. Like your choices really matter. You have a choice. So our choices make a difference. And just to go back to that Psalm 91, when it says we're in God's ever-loving hands, he rescues you. Do you know that, this, that Satan himself used that? When, when, he, when he tries to tempt Jesus, 
And I'll just say this verse and then on to you. But when he takes that verse to Jesus and he tempts Jesus in Matthew chapter, according to Matthew chapter four, the devil says, takes him to the top of the, the temple and he says, hey, why don't you throw yourself down from here uh, because he says this, uh, it took him to the highest place in the city and he says, because, and he quotes this very psalm. He says, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so you will not strike your foot against a stone. He tells Jesus, just jump because God will protect you. And what does Jesus say? Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God, what? To the test. test. We have to let scripture interpret scripture. So if I say, I'm just gonna jump off a building and God's gonna protect me. No, he may not. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. Now, does that mean we'll wear masks forever? No, no, we won't. And and this is, I'm not making a statement that there's a lot of different opinions on this, but I think we wanna be careful. There's not a specific, God knows when you're gonna die, but some of it's gonna be irresponsible. If I just drive under the influence and I go, hey, it's my time, it's my time, that's irresponsible. That's an affront to God. I'm putting God to the test. So we take appropriate actions to be responsible to care for the bodies he's He's given us. That all you want to say? Well done. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let you uh, come to one here. Yeah. All right, I'll go with. Um, so someone writes: Does sin just straight up not exist in heaven, or is everyone who makes it to heaven so perfect that they won't sin? Um, so let's go to Revelation chapter twenty-one, and it says here in verse twenty-six: All nations will bring their glory and honor into the city, and then verse twenty-seven nothing evil will be allowed to enter. Well, if that's the case, I can't go there um, because I am definitely not perfect. So I'm glad then that Romans 3 is in the Bible and it says this, starting in verse 20. No one can ever be made right in God's sight by doing what his law commands. For the more we know God's law, the clearer it becomes that we aren't obeying it. But now... God has shown us a different way of being right in his sight, not by obeying the law, but by the way promised in the scriptures long ago. We are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And we can all be saved in the same way, no matter who we are or what we've done. And we've all sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet now, God in his gracious kindness declares us not guilty through Jesus Christ who has set us free. So um, does sin straight up not exist in heaven? Correct, sin does not exist in heaven according to Revelation 21. Is everyone who goes there just so perfect? Nobody who goes there is perfect. But in Jesus, only in Jesus, are we allowed entrance into heaven where we have, um, God can see us through Jesus' righteousness when we call on him and ask him to give us that gift. What a day it's going to be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you'll be the best version of you. Josiah, how about one last question here? Which one did you pick? Um, Well, just based off of the one you answered, there's one also about, uh, it says, people talk about the beauty and joy of being with Jesus, but what about Isaiah's experience of a sinful person being in the presence of a holy God? There is a sense of fear and trembling there. So in in heaven, are we going to have this fear and trembling of God's holiness um, and I would say not in the same way that Isaiah did, because Isaiah, this is even pre-Jesus dying on the cross, um, so he's, um, he doesn't even have the blood of Jesus. He, does not, he doesn't even know he has the blood of Jesus to hold on to. Um, so 
no, we're not going to be afraid of God in heaven, uh, but are we going to have this sense of holy fear of how majestic and amazing he is? Absolutely. Um, and then in between, between now and when we are glorified completely, I, I think judgment day might be, might put some terror in us. I don't, other people might interpret it differently, but I have a feeling that um, when we get there, it's going to be um, a very serious moment <laughs> of understanding my shortcomings, understanding the grace that Jesus offers, um, but he's not going to cast shame on us, but we will see our whole lives and our actions and be judged accordingly, but then be given uh, entrance to the kingdom through, only through the blood of Jesus. But so, it's a, it's a great question. I think... Um, yeah, I said it. <laughs> I was about to say it all again. <laughs> good. How good to know that and a couple questions came in like this, that no matter what we've done, where we've been, how much guilt, that when we come to Jesus, sin is washed away. Amen. And we can know for sure, the Bible says, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. Not guess, hope, wonder, but you can know. Um, what a great Savior we have and a great salvation as well. Mary, would you... Pray and just thank the Lord for the truth he's given us. I was just thinking, Lord, of that truth Uh, in Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We thank you for that. We thank you that, that we can have a relationship with you, the God who created all things. Thank you that you love us and you're so patient with us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. And so, Lord, I pray that I'm that you'll give us, everyone who's listening, watching today, give us a hunger to know you better and to love you more, to dig into your word, to find answers. I thank you that when we have doubts, you don't condemn us for that. You invite us. When Thomas, doubting Thomas, had his doubts, you didn't condemn him for that. You said, hey, look at the evidence. I thank you for that. Thank you that doubt is not the enemy of faith. Mm-hmm. And so, Lord, as we go today, I pray your blessing on us as a church family. God, would you make us people who love you well, who love people around us, who point to you. In your name we pray, amen. Amen.